Morning, church. Uh, my name is David, and together we'll be reading from today's scripture, which is from Colossians 2.8 and Deuter- Deuteronomy 8.2-3. Uh, uh, please follow along in your Bibles, or feel free to see up in the screen as well. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And this is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, 2 to 3. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, Well, good morning, True North. Uh, My name is Eugene. I'm a member of the pastoral staff. I have the privilege of giving today's message. And uh, we'll be concluding uh, our our look into the book of Colossians uh, solely through the verse verse 8 of just really tackling what is it that holds us captive as a church, as a group of people living in the Bay Area, as individuals? What, what keeps our souls away from Christ? And as Jay mentioned in the beginning of the series, much of this comes not from cults or even other religions, but often these philosophies of the world that offer empty deceit, that hold us captive and away from Christ. <clears throat> and we hope that the whole point of this passage in this series was to point us that Christ in his totality of his humanity and his deity gives us a way out. That beneath Christ is not empty deceit, but a fullness of life. And as I conclude this, um, there was a lot of ideas of how to conclude this. I was actually gonna talk about the American political system, how the binary system of just either left or right holds us captive. Um, But I'll, I'll save that for another time because I think on a deeper level, more than politics, more than philosophies, uh, I think what holds us captive in this region is our chase of comfort. That for many of us, what we chase after is an upper middle class life of comfort, of comfort of a house, of a family, of 2.5 children, or whatever it may look like. That so much of even what we talked about last week, our vocation and our job is to give us ultimately comfort. And what I want to do is to show us that as the church and as disciples, especially as Jay mentioned in this time, <clears throat> that we cannot allow comfort to hold us captive. Because comfort by itself inhibits us from following God and serving his people. And I hope to show you how. Now, I know these two passages that we just read seem very different, but I hope to tie it together. And there's a quote from a pastor by the name of William uh, Willimon. He, he's a mainline pastor, uh, a bit more progressive than even myself, things I wouldn't completely agree with, but he, he held an observation. And I, I want to make it clear, this is not a passive-aggressive jab at our church. Um, he was talking to pastors, getting ready to pastor in this moment. And this is what he said about this uh, current cultural moment that we live in. I've told seminarians that ministry defined as, quote-unquote, meeting people's needs is dangerous in a society where the more affluent and privileged among us have solved with the credit card most of our biblical needs like food, housing, and clothing. 
So we move on to assuaging personal needs the Bible doesn't give a rip about, meaning-making, a purpose-driven life, balance, or sense of personal well-being. Fulfillment of desire becomes elevated to the level of need, and need gets jacked up to the status of a right. Because my desires are a bottomless pit, no wonder so many clergy become exhausted rushing about in service to my right to be cared for. Running errands for the anxiously affluent is hardly worth a life worth living. I want to make it clear, this is not how I feel about True North. Um, but so much of his observations at the root of even True North are, hold, are held to be true. That to be honest, when I meet up or Jay meets up with anyone and I ask them, what can I pray about? More often than not, there are needs not listed in Scripture. It's based on, I need a raise, my job is tough, the housing market is rough, man, the, the, the stock market is rough, whatever it may be. And this, this is the thing. Those things are important, as I mentioned before. We're not a church that teaches poverty and suffering as a way to Jesus. But I think what William Willimon mentioned is so true. Fulfillment of desire becomes elevated to the level of need, and the need gets jacked up to the status of a right. What he is capturing is the spirit of the time. That so many of us in church, one thing that we worship more than God is the self-comfort that we seek for deep down in our own souls. And what I hope to show us is this, that in Deuteronomy and in the whole story of the church beginning with Israel, God calls us into the wilderness of discomfort for growth and his presence. And if we choose not to step into discomfort, if we choose to chase after the never-ending chase for our own comfort, there's empty deceit that awaits us. But let me begin by this, by saying that when we chase comfort, we create a fantasy world that is detached from the reality of this world. What I mean by that is this, uh, Mark Sayers, uh, there'll be a lot of quotes, but Mark Sayers is an Australian pastor who, who, like William, has a keen kind of gauge of our cultural moment. And, and one thing he wrote recently in a book, has, it struck me. He said, the fruit most valued today is comfort. In the contemporary world, feeling good is the expected normative state of being. When one doesn't experience good feelings, if a task is unpleasant, if a relationship goes through a difficult period, if a job is tough, it is taken as a signal that something is wrong or that something is wrong with you. What he's saying is in line with Colossians 2.8. What he's saying is many of us are held captive by comfort, meaning that if our lives are not well, we feel like something must be off. If that is the mantra that you live by and you, you want to follow Jesus, your faith is reduced to basically trying to gain control of your lives through God so that you can be happy. The problem with that and even I would say the problem with the American dream, quote unquote, that holds so many of us captive is that when Jesus came, he did not come to just give us a mirage of happiness. He came to give us true freedom. And true freedom only awaits through the wilderness of discomfort. We'll talk about this a little bit more as we get into what Israel went through. But I, one, one example I always give, and I've given this before, is uh, I, I've, had a, I, I've had two animals in my life. They have both sadly passed away. Um, but one, I had a fish called Speedy when I was like in fourth grade. I had a dog named Park. And I, and I always give this example. Let's say one day in a, in a Pixar world, my fish, Speedy, goes to my dog and says, dude, I want to be 
happy. I want to be comfortable. This, this cage I'm living in with water, you're free. You're, you're comfortable. You can do whatever you want. Let me be free, right? Tip me over. Allow me to experience comfort like you do. Let's say my dog, Parker, does that. He knocks over the fishbowl, and, and finally Speedy is free for a couple of seconds, but what happens right after? See, what we realize is true freedom is not chasing after comfort or it's not chasing after your desires, but true freedom comes by living how you're meant to live, living how you're designed to live. And so often as human beings, we confuse freedom with comfortability. That as long as I am comfortable, I am free, I am happy. But there's a mirage to that. Because when comfort becomes your primary goal, you become detached from reality, just like Israel was. To give a, a quick summary of Israel's history out of Exodus. If you guys watched the Prince of Egypt, you might remember this. But Israel is held captive by Egypt. Right? They're literally enslaved by Egypt. Moses comes through God, frees them, gets them through the Red Sea, allows the army of Egypt to be swallowed by that sea. And he enters into Mount Sinai, brings back 10 commandments saying, you have been free to be God's people. Let's enter into the promised land. And yet, Israel chooses to seek comfort before God. Because this is the thing, the way to the promised land is not like Egypt. You see, although you were enslaved, although Israel was enslaved in Egypt, it was comfortable. And one thing they begin to say in, in Numbers chapter 11, I think it will be on the screen behind me, Israel, as they're about to enter the promised land, they get cranky. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. That cost nothing. Remember that phrase. We remember the, the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. They, they, they love garnishing, right? And now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So if you don't remember, you know, Israel is, is in trying to get to the promised land and they need food. So God gives them manna, but they say this is not enough. We want comfortable food. And you have to realize they are so detached from reality. Because when you seek comfort over anything else, what happens is anything around you that looks uncomfortable is just detached from you. Think about what Israel's saying. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. That cost nothing? You were enslaved by these slave masters. The only reason they were treating you comfortably to make you plump is so that you could work harder for them. And yet as Israel seeked comfort above all, they were blinded to that reality of enslavement. They had become so delusional that they forgot the comfortable food they received in Egypt came at the cost of their own freedom. What does that mean for us? Our own comfort zones that we create, our own comfort bubbles that we create, they are so detached often from the broken realities that we live in. Even the idea of a suburb, if you look at the American history of that, the creation of suburbs is an interesting process. Uh, generally, cities were mainly where people lived up until the Industrial Revolution. And many, that was because in the city, there was a lot of people. And if you're in a lot of people, you're safe. The frontier is dangerous. That's, that's unclaimed land. There, there could be people that could hurt you. So you ban it in cities. And yet, what was the purpose of a suburb being built? Now, this isn't the complete history, but if you remember, so 
there was what we call the great white flight. That so many in the cities, with the presence of other minorities, especially African Americans, they felt unsafe. So what they wanted to do is create their own reality, detached from the reality that we live in. Now, that's a complicated history. We can debate whether that's true or not, but the essence of that is still true in our souls. When you chase comfort, you build your own fantasy world where you're detached from the realities around you, from uncomfortable relationships. You see, when you seek comfort, you will ignore the people that are uncomfortable. You will choose to act like they don't exist. But the problem is they do. Those broken family members, those friends, the axes, an ex-wife, an ex-husband, whatever it may be, when you choose to live in your own comfort zone, they still exist. Or often in the darkness of this fallen world, you choose to ignore. I'll tell you this, the, Silicon, the Bay Area is a bubble of comfort that is so detached from the realities of life. There's nothing in essence wrong with that, but when we choose to live in that quote-unquote fantasy world, when we're not aware of the brokenness going around in our country, when we're not aware of a Supreme Court ruling that is dividing this country, we're not aware, although our portfolios may be going up, that externally many of people living around us outside the barrier, their income is coming down. When we choose to live in that fancy world, we ignore the people that God's put around us. Maybe even your own past. When you choose to live only in comfort, you choose to ignore the broken past you live in. You carry it like a rotting plague inside of you. And often when you choose to seek comfort, you even ignore God himself as Israel did. Imagine what is God promising Israel, the promised land, a place where you could recreate Eden with me, and yet Israel in their seeking of comfort chooses to ignore even God because in your comfortable life, what need is there of a God? Because in a comfortable life, the mirage is you are God. And let me say this, even in our churches, this Bubble of comfort remains true. Stanley Harwas, another pastor, in, in conversation with William Willimon, mentioned this about churches these days, and I, and I believe it to be true even for our church. Many congregations are a conspiracy of comfort. Keep that in your mind, a conspiracy of comfort. A community that lives under a covenant that says, I promise never to tell you the truth about you if you will do the same for me. I would even say this, at True North, if comfort is the main value that we are held captive by, then we are not a church. We're just a place where we dress up, come on Sundays, say how you doing, we're doing good, and go back home. I promise I'm going to tell you the truth about you if you will do the same for me. That's a comfortable church. And in essence, that is not a church. See, when we choose to live in comfort, what we ignore is that growth requires discomfort. That to gain strength, I'm not even talking about spiritual strength, emotional strength, personal strength, physical strength, that requires discomfort. When we prioritize comfort, ease, and good feelings, we are choosing to embrace and even accept personal, spiritual, and emotional immaturity. We're choosing to be immature because what we don't realize is it's only through discomfort that maturity comes. Why did God send Israel into the wilderness for 40 years? So again, to pick back on the story of Israel, they, they, they complained to Moses, man, we had good food in Egypt, we should go back. And God says, you know what? You're not ready for the promised land. 
for 40 years, you'll be wandering in the discomfort of the wilderness and not be able to enter in the promised land. Even to a point where Moses himself, the one that freed Egypt, uh, Israel from Egypt, cannot enter into the promised land himself. Why does God do that? It's not only for judgment, but God knows that if they enter into the wilderness now, they're not ready for it. So they, God puts them into the wilderness to be tested and refined into maturity. Because if you're always given a comfortable life, you're never ready for what life gives you. You know, when I was learning to drive, if you, if you, if you guys remember when you're trying to get your driver's license, you have to take some courses with a driving instructor. And usually that driving instructor sits next to you. It's a special car where they have their own brakes so they don't want to die either, right? But I remember my dad, he hired like the cheapest driving instructor around, right? So I went into that car and we had three lessons. And he was like, hey, just between me and you, just take a quick drive around the neighborhood. I'll buy you a Slurpee and we're all good. I'm 15 years old. I'm like, that sounds good to me, right? So I do that for all my, the only thing he taught me is just break and go and you're good, all right? And my driving test comes up and I come up and I, and I even forget to put the seatbelt on before I ignite so I'm already automatically failed. I'm trying to lane change, I get too nervous. And what I realize is because I was given a comfortable bubble, that's not reality of the driving that I'm supposed to have. I wasn't ready for the test to tell yourself I am ready. And I failed it. And so many of us, we do the same thing. When we choose to live in comfort, we're not ready for what life gives us. And this is the thing. God stretches us and gives us discomfort. He gives you broken people around you. So many of us, we're like, man, my work sucks. My boss sucks. My friends suck. My family sucks. Maybe God places that wilderness around you, not because he despises you, but he knows that only in discomfort can you grow. Only in the wilderness are we able to gain maturity enough to be his disciples. You know, when you go back to Deuteronomy, God is telling his people, this is the reason why I put you in the wilderness. And one thing he says in, in chapter 8, verse 2, he says, and, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. God himself, I'm leading you into the wilderness of discomfort. Not the promised land, but the wilderness. Why? that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. When we choose not to enter the wilderness of discomfort, and this is the thing, I don't know what it is in your life, but you know what it is. When you choose not to step into that reality, you're choosing immaturity. You don't know what stitches you together until you're being pulled apart. You don't know what holds you together until you're being pulled apart. And you don't know what strong, how strong enough it is. Whatever, you're, whatever stitches you together, there's something that always holds you together, some God you worship. If it is comfort, when you're stretched, you realize it is not strong enough to give me strength. If you guys remember in AP physics or physics in general in high school, there was these competitions to create these bridges, right, out of these little chopsticks or these little wooden pieces, right? And you remember that. And this is the thing. Some, some dude, like maybe an architect, he can make some beautiful, aesthetic, pleasing bridge, right? And some other person can make this like, this looks like nothing. The only way you can know the strength of that bridge is what? A stress test. So if you remember, like when it was my one of my favorite days in physics, you would get all these books and just kind of allow it to hold that weight to see how much weight can it hold. And all the aesthetics, all the pretty dressing, it did not matter. 
Because that stress test made you realize the aesthetics don't give you strength. It's the core of the foundation. And so much of our lives, like that, we build it aesthetically pleasing because that's what comfort does. Man, if I just have this job and house, then it'll be aesthetically pleasing. But God tests you to realize, are those things strong enough to hold you together? We have to break away from the myth that if life is going wrong, that my life is going wrong when we are not feeling good. Because when you are not feeling good, it's an opportunity to step into the wilderness of discomfort. You will not grow in any aspect of your life staying in your comfort zones, in your vocation, in your relationships, in your family, in your faith, and just your overall life. You may grow aesthetically. You may grow in salary. You may grow in real estate. You may grow in wealth, but you will not grow internally in your soul. You will not be ready for the relationships of the future. You will not be ready for the family of your future. Discomfort allows you to grow outside the aesthetics of your life. And this is also another thing in Deuteronomy. What, what God tells him is there are also hidden blessings in the area of discomfort of your life, in the wilderness of your life. Verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It wasn't until they entered into the wilderness that they could receive the grace of this food called manna. It was a hidden blessing. What does that mean for us? There are so many unknown blessings awaiting us in the wilderness of discomfort. Do you know what's much sweeter than revenge? A reconciled relationship. Do you know what's so much deeper than just ignoring your trauma is finding healing in that trauma? I'm not a big hiker, right, because it's just, uncomfortable and then like if you know me like I'm preaching to myself I love comfort right and I remember when I was in Seattle with my friends they like do we gotta go on this hike and I was like I really don't want to go right but he's like they tricked me they said it's, it's a brewery but it wasn't when we got there like this in the middle of nowhere and there's a there's a hike called Rattlesnake Ledge in Seattle if you've been there it's one of the most beautiful hikes and the thing about a hike is you don't want to do it because at the the beginning of the hike usually a hike moves upward and if it moves upward the only thing you see is the next step the only thing in the immediate future of the wilderness you see is the next step of discomfort. And you realize you take that step, but you only see is an, what you see is another step, and another step. And often there's also false peaks where you see like, oh, the, we reached the top. And you, you, you get to the top and you realize there's another mountain. Like, you guys tricked me again, right? But it wasn't until I took every step of discomfort that this is, the only thing I can see in the future is discomfort, discomfort, discomfort. That when I got to the top, the true peak of that wilderness called Rattlesnake Ledge, Although it was only like one and a half miles. But when I got to the top, there was a view that I could see of the valley that I could not see from the floor. And it was so much more beautiful through that discomfort than just being on the floor of that valley, of seeing that whole valley from that perspective. What does that mean for us? The presence of God awaits not in your comfort zones, but in the wilderness. Why do you need God if you're comfortable? You know, so many times as a pastor, people will be like, man, I'm not spiritually doing well. And I often wonder, well, have you put yourself in a context where you don't need God? If you feel distant from God, maybe when's the last time you needed God? Comfort is great until you realize it strips everything away from you and you live in this fantasy bubble. You see, when you look at God from the Old to the New Testament, and we'll get to Jesus in a little bit, but 
God always is hiding in deep presence in the areas of discomfort of your life. Because it's only in those areas, in those relationships, in those parts. I don't know what it is, but you know what I'm talking about. That place you're scared to go to, you're uncomfortable to go to. God is waiting there. He is not waiting in your salary. He's not waiting in your comfort. His presence is waiting in the discomfort of your life. And I, and I want to make it clear, I'm not saying to chase suffering. I'm not saying to chase discomfort. There is already enough in your life that God has given you. But how many places have you ignored that God is just waiting right around that corner, just like my hike? Rob Reimer is another pastor who puts it really well. God values character and maturity much more than we humans do. In fact, character and maturity in God's kingdom are much more important than comfort and ease because testing gives us more capacity for God in our lives. By enduring hardship, God is going to make you have a stronger inner temple which can contain much more of his presence. You only build a temple when you're in discomfort. You only build a temple when you're in pain. And let me say this, in Silicon Valley, how many times have we needed to build a temple other than ourselves? I invite you, you all know where that area of wilderness is in your life. I invite you, what God invites you, step into that. Now, how do we do this practically? Colossians 2.8, if you remember, it says, the empty deceit of this world, the philosophies, the elemental principles can all be solved in the fullness of Christ, in the fullness of his deity and his humanity. And let me close by this. Well, how can we practically do this? How can we step into our own wilderness? Jesus gives us that answer. The best way to break our own comfort zones is to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And if you follow in Jesus' footsteps, you realize his whole life is to be an uncomfortably to be a refuge of comfort for others. If you think about Jesus' life, his practical life in the Gospels, one thing that is very, very clear is that he always chooses to live in an uncomfortable context with those around him. He's always choosing to break any sense of a comfort zone or a bubble, to stay rooted, to stay anchored in the uncomfortable, broken reality around him. When he meets with that woman in the well, do you understand the cultural uncomfortableness of a Jewish man meeting with someone that has slept around with other husbands? That's uncomfortable. That's tension. Yet Jesus chooses to step into that wilderness. Think about Jesus' disciples. He did not pick 12 people that would just all get along in this perfect little family. He chose people knowing that these people would have uncomfortable tension around them. Jesus always chooses to step into the uncomfortable cracks of reality and not to build his own fortress. And the question we have is, are we even aware of those around us in discomfort? How do you break your own comfort zones? It's to stop seeking comfort for yourself, but to give comfort to others around you. That's how you do it. And let me end with this. The Good Samaritan in Luke gives us the roadmap practically of how to break our own comfort zones. Because in it, if you don't remember, the good lawyer says to, to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I, how do I receive eternal life? Right? It's, a, it's a holy question. He says, how do I receive eternal life so that I can be with you forever? And he says, what Jesus says is, hey, love those around you. 
And, and what the lawyer does is he does what we do. He's like, oh, let me get the comfortable version of that. Right? He says, God said, or Jesus tells him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your, with all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Sorry, the lawyer says that. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. But the lawyer says, no, I need the comfortable version. Who is my neighbor? Right? What the, the lawyer is doing is he's like, hey, that, that's cool, Jesus, but let me, let me do that in my comfort bubble detached from reality. And this is the parable that Jesus gives. And, and, and look at this through the lens of how is this good Samaritan breaking his own comfort zone? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped them beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest of the Jewish temple, a priest, someone that is supposed to be filled with God's presence, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He sees discomfort, the priest of a temple, and he says, I gotta choose my comfort. He literally steps to the other side and keeps walking. So likewise, a Levite, a Jewish brother, right, someone that's of his blood, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. I'm choosing my own comfort. But a Samaritan, and you have to remember the cultural context, there is cultural uncomfortableness between a Samaritan and a Jew. This is as if someone in, in, in the Midwest that, that wears a Make America Great Again hat is in San Francisco and he sees a progressive activist on the ground. That's the amount of tension you need to realize. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Samaritan teaches us how to break our own comfort zones in three ways. The first is this. To break your own comfort zone of your bubble or whatever it is, you have to choose to live in the present and not the future. And I've preached about this before, but in Silicon Valley, many of us, the reality you choose to live in is not the present, but your future salary, your future earnings, your future house. And that's not bad. You should take care of your future. You should be a responsible parent or a husband or a wife or a worker, whatever it may be. But if that's the reality you choose to live in, you are blind to the discomfort of the present of those around you. Because that's what the priest and Levite did. Like, look, the priest knows I should take care of him. I'm a priest. But he's probably, oh, I got more important things to do in the future. My plans of the future are more important than your discomfort of the present. Let me get very practical. Look at your calendars. How much is it filled with stuff that doesn't matter in the present but the future? How many of your meetings are so much more about things that should happen in the future but not things in the present? Jesus and the Samaritan stays rooted in the present to break that comfort zone. The reason we love to live in the future and not the present, because the present is uncomfortable. Because the present reminds you, I'm not as good as I think I am. But the future, oh, I can be as good as I think I will be. So I'm going to choose to live in that. No, choose to live in the present. Because in the present are the broken relationships around you that you ignore. Choose the present over the future to break these comfort zones. Second, to break these comfort bubbles, you have to give up resources. The two resources the Samaritan gave up are time and money. Think about this. 
The Samaritan couldn't, he couldn't just call the ambulance and be like, yo, there's this guy, he's on the ground, can you help him? No, for the Samaritan to help this person, it took a whole three days worth of time. And the time, and back then, is much more precious than time now. He literally put him on his donkey for a whole day, sent him to an inn, said, whatever you need. And this is the thing, he pays the innkeeper. Why does Jesus note that? There is a financial discomfort that the Samaritan gives. Do you know what indicates where your soul is at more than your Bible reading, more than your prayer? It's your bank accounts. And this is the thing, I'm not saying, True North is not a place where we want to, you know, be financial police. But how you spend your money tells you how you worship which God you choose. And this doesn't mean, oh, this doesn't mean, oh, tithe everything to True North. But even in your own bank accounts, what are you giving money to? Is it to build your own comfort or to give comfort to those around you? Choose to give up time and money to break your comfort zones, to grow to be stronger as a person, to grow in your character and your emotional and spiritual maturity. Lastly, and the most important, there is a relational discomfort that Samaritan willingly chooses to step into. And this, I think, is the most important point for all of us. If you want to break your comfort zones that we live in, these bubbles that we live in, you have to choose to step into the wilderness of broken relationships. I don't know who that is. I am not God. You do. There is always broken relationships around you that you willingly choose to ignore. Why? Because it isn't comfortable to do so. When you choose to ignore these broken relationships, that trauma, that brokenness, that sin grows like a rotting thing in your soul. Let me give a very vivid like, example to, to illustrate this point. Um, I was not a clean guy in college, right? I, I chose comfort over discomfort all the time. And, and my translation of that was my car was a mess. Um, if you came into my car in college, like, you couldn't see the back seat because there was just so much trash back there, right? Still the same a little bit, but with kids, actual excuse. But anyways, when I was in college, my, my car is a mess. And I remember I'm driving for a couple of days, and this, this pungent smell of, like, cheese gets stronger and stronger, at first, I'm like, oh, I must have left the pizza. It's all right. All right someone will find it. I don't know who, but someone will find it, right? Uh, and, and the next couple of days, it gets exponentially stronger. It tastes, it smells like someone like stuffed cheese down a dark corner and just left it there, right? And I, I tore that car apart. I was like, what is this smell? I couldn't find it. And I remember like weeks in, it's just strong. Enough where like my friends would be like, I don't want to ride with you no more, right? But one of the guys, like I had to take a freshman somewhere, so he was forced to ride with me. So I made him sit in the back. He's like, clear space for a seat, and he was like, oh, hey, Eugene, there, there's a Starbucks cup, like, in the dark corner. I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's interesting, right? And he opened it, and he said, like, he almost passed out, right? Because what he said is basically there was milk and latte there for weeks, and he said it was like a rainbow-colored latte that just smelled like disgusting cheese. And the whole point of what I'm trying to give you this vivid example is this. When you choose to live in comfort and ignore the broken relationships around you, that stuff rots. As a human being, whether you like it or not, to be human is to be connected with others. And God has placed certain people in your life, whether you like it or not, there for a reason. Maybe in the past, maybe in the present. But so many of us, we cannot grow spiritually and emotionally as people, as Christians, because we choose to ignore them. Maybe it's a parent, 
Maybe it's an ex. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend. And look, this is the thing at church. What we're called to do together is to encourage each other. We got to step into that. Because you know what's sweeter than ignoring it and trying to find comfort is healing. And you know what awaits you behind that broken relationship? God. Because you get to a point where you realize there is so much pain, so much anger. What am I supposed to do? The only thing you can turn to then is God. That God, there is so much emotional damage. I can't even, I can't even put to words what I feel. That's exactly what the Psalms say. The deepest Psalms are when the Psalmist turns to God for healing. Step into the relational brokenness that you live in. Because that is our call to grow as Christians, to bring comfort to others. And this is the thing. This doesn't mean kumbaya, you're going to find healing with everyone, every single person. What, what God is asking you to do is try and step into that. It might not be a perfect ending, but out of it you will come much changed in character and humility and a deeper sense of who God is. Let me conclude by saying this. To follow Jesus, to follow God is to choose to live in tension to choose to live in the wilderness so that we don't chase comfort, but we bring comfort to those around us. If you ever feel too comfortable, that's a sign that you're slipping away from God. And I want to make it clear, not that you're chasing discomfort, but to the, to the areas of discomfort in your life, choose to live in the tension just like Jesus, stepping into that and relying on God in his presence. And behind every uncomfortable thing person and relationship, I promise you, God's presence awaits you there. Let's pray. Lord, there's a lot of things that uh, hold us captive. Um, could be our jobs, could be the political times, but I think more than all, the, one of the most human and historical things that holds us captive is comfort, that we want to seek it for ourselves. But Lord, as we look to Jesus, as we're even about to take communion, to be reminded of Jesus' comfort, allow us in the same way to bring comfort to others. Not to seek it for ourselves, but to look how Jesus bore our sins, our discomfort, our pain to give us life. And Lord, allow us to, in, in an incarnational way, incarnational way, to mimic that so that we can grow closer to you. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.